I mean, it's not like we've been recording for a little while already. Uh, anyway, yeah, welcome back, everyone. We hope that you enjoyed last week's episode. Thanks for joining in, and we appreciate you enjoying all the work we put out on a frequent weekly basis. Frequent. Absolutely frequent. Uh, anyway, hey, welcome to the end. My name is uh, Peak Mason. I'm your host, joined by my co-host and brother, Randy. Hi, everyone. Randy Bo Bandy here, reminding you that time is nothing but an illusion and reality is, well, whatever you think it is. So in our world, we are delivering you content weekly. If that doesn't jive with you, well, you need to change your reality. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, it's nice. We're on to episode, big old episode 20. Uh, anyway, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna, yeah, the big two zero, two zero, not, not 100 like we could be, uh, <laughs> or maybe it is 100. Who knows? It's all an illusion. It's all an illusion. It's all a, an agreed upon delusion. Delusion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, welcome to the end. It's a podcast, uh, in which we cover short fiction, sci-fi, anything really, and everything whenever we have time to talk about nonsense. Uh, and today we decided to sit down and, uh, talk about, well, another Philip K. Dick product. Uh, it is a very fantastic sci-fi book, uh, named Ubik. Or Ubik. It it kind of it depends. There's there's varying ways to interpret some of the names of the book as well as the characters. So I'd say this is like a first for us. Usually we're dealing with short stories or whatnot. Uh this is a full length book at uh two hundred and two pages or something. I think. Yeah, but actually a pretty pretty easy read. I mean it's nice because uh, Dick, as as he tends to stick to, he has a fairly similar approach, and he actually moves through the story quite quickly. And it, there there isn't really much in the way of downtime or breaks. It it's it's kind of traditional in the sense that you're experiencing the course of events of you know maybe a few days at most, um, and so you know there's not much in the way of downtime. Yeah, a lot of Philip K. Dick's books in general take place over a short stint of time. So even though there's a lot in it, it's it seems like they're actually kind of more geared towards movies. So do Andrew's Dream of Electric Sheep, which is what Blade Runner is based off of. That's a similar thing. It's only in the course of a few days, and it works out really well as a movie. But, I mean, Total Recall, same thing. Um Oh, Minority Report, um, that's another one where it's like it was almost perfectly written for cinema as well as a short story. And if you want to know more about the Minority Report, go back and listen to our episodes on the Minority Report. That's also where you'll find a rather brief but extensive dive into the background and madness that is Philip K. Dick. Uh, thankfully, he did find salvation and a savior in Vallis, so um, we can all... Go to sleep with a smile on our face, knowing that Vallis is out there controlling the reality in which we live in. You know, it, honestly, 
if they were ever to do a biopic about Philip K. Dick, I feel like Wilford Brimley could play like a very good version of like an old Philip K. Dick that actually didn't have a brain hemorrhage and die. Um, oh, or like like <laughs> one that's just very bitter, very much in denial, and will like hit a small child for sneezing wrong. Well, shame Wilford Brimley actually passed away in 2020. So, all right, uh, R.I.P. Just... that walrus mustachioed man. <laughs> Turns out diabetes caught Wilford Brimley. You know, it catches up to everyone eventually. Oh, it does. Or it slows you down to a point where you can't get away. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) See, that's the thing. I feel like... I feel like diabetes is just as lazy and fucking fat as its victims. (laughs) In the sense that it's just like, you know what? I'm not going to chase you. I'm just going to whittle you down until you can't run away. Um... No, but there's actually there's actually people out there, and it, and diabetes is actually a serious health condition, all things considered. But we're not so <laughs> welcome to the podcast about diabetes and sadness. <laughs> yeah, diabetes. Uh, no, uh, so back back to so we're talking about Ubik. Uh, it is a full length book. It is a it's a good sci fi book. Uh, we're not going to talk about too much regarding PKD. Uh, we did a full episode as, as Randy said, go listen to that. If you want to get a better understanding of PKD, he is, he's an interesting character, especially from an author perspective, but I wouldn't say he's a good man. Uh, he had some issues towards the women and, and mental health and drugs. Yeah, there's that. And he was also kind of a man of his time. He fucked and got after it. He didn't give a shit about anyone. Well, that's because he knew how to get into it, and that was join the San Francisco, California drug scene and just live it up and say you can batter your wife and convict her and maybe try to push her off a cliff in a car. No, no. From what (laughs) I heard, she forced him into pushing her off that cliff it is her fault according to what i've read and that is that is his statement not mine (laughs) maligning a dead man we are maligning a dead man maligning a dead man oh oh so so terrible that you know Uh, that's actually kind of um right in line with the the ultimate like kind of theme and uh message you get in uh ubik here it is. It's it's actually maligning a dead man, or gaslighting him, one or the other. All right. So let's see here. From what I see, Ubik is a 1969 science fiction novel. Yeah. So it was released May uh May of 1969, and I'd say uh 19 the 1960s was a really really good decade for Philip K. Dick in general. He released a lot of major books in the sci-fi genre that created this like different it created this really weird sense uh in in special quality within sci-fi because he also released the three stigmata of Paldemir Eldridge which is a psychedelic crazy book back in 1965 he released the Martian time slip in 1964 which 
that's another like that's another must read for Philip K. Dick. It's very ambitious and just out there. It's such a strange book, uh, but critically related, like critically, uh, other than do Android stream of Electric Sheep, Ubik is considered one of PKD's best science fiction book. In fact, it was named in Time Magazine as one of a hundred greatest novels since 1923, uh, and that was back in 2000. 2009 that they did that uh and it, it it is it's a fantastic sci-fi book i'll say that much yeah and it, it's um it's been described by critics you know well some critics as a deeply unsettling existential horror story a nightmare you'll never be sure you've woken up from and I, from what i have read I would agree. I mean this is one that takes you for a ride. I mean if you're if you're a willing if you're willing to take the hand of the story here and kind of go for that ride and buy into what it's feeding you and also just the Philip K Dick universe itself because it does fall in line with many of the themes and activities that are actually consistent almost across all of his works. And, um, and and yeah, you're going to go for a ride. You're going to, you're going to come out kind of questioning things, questioning, um, maybe your own reality, maybe your dreams, maybe whether or not your wives are sleeping with ghosts or ghosts are trying to sleep with your wives. I don't know. (laughs) I, I thought we weren't supposed to bring that up. Now you're bringing it up. This is therapy for me, Peak. It's it's therapy. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'm haunted by my own dark thoughts. Did you tell her the dream or like Oh, I told did... her. I okay. told her. She thought it was hilarious. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, she she gives me a hard time about it too now. Like Oh man. The ghost might steal me away. <laughs> so yeah, I mean in a way, I still am haunted by this nightmare that I I don't know if I've woken up from. Um yeah, and I mean, Philip K. Dick, he wrote 44 books, and they're not sequential, so none of the books are within a series. Each are standalone, but a lot of them do deal with a very similar universe or similar setting, similar premise, uh, with variations on it. And a lot of his stuff's also near future, so he was writing in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and a lot of what he was writing about was set in the 90s to mid 2000s i think the latest time frame he ended up putting one of his books at at least one that i read was uh uh the divine invasion which i think was set in 2100 plus uh actually that's similar to the man who japed that's also set pretty distant in the future for for philip k dick usually he was he was near future so a lot of the stuff when you read it is it's kind of antiquated in the sense of, well, things are still using tape decks or coin machines or what have you. And I think that gives us the best spot to kind of start off with Ubik because coin machines play a pretty big role in this this book. Honestly, it's kind of a nightmare if you uh, if you're not the most economically sound or financially aware person. 
where you, this world would suck for you. And you, you'd you probably find yourself, uh, I don't know, probably feeling for our, our main protagonist, Joe Chip. Yeah, Joe Chip is not not good with money at all. No. And he um he definitely doesn't hold back on it even though like and that's kind of where what finds him in this quagmire a little bit like it's like he wakes up and this this and he he doesn't have enough money to even get out of his door because in in this reality um even the door has a coin operated lock on it. They have to put money into and and this this uh, again in Philip K Dick fashion this dark-haired young woman that just kind of shows up and has for some reason some type of um interest in this kind of schlubby just average somewhat disheveled man um and 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 she she actually is the one that has the money to let him out of the house just to start the whole story just yeah um, just to start the whole story yeah yeah and uh, and honestly like the whole coin operated thing it's it's honestly kind of a waking nightmare in the sense of like, you know, things are like becoming more and more like piecemeal with like things like streaming devices where it's like you have to pay oh, for yeah. each one and then premium and then plus, plus, plus and everything like that. And it's like, you know, that's one thing that's like digitally. But I was like, I was over in Europe recently and I don't know if you know this, but they have like coin operated toilets in their bus stations and to flush train it? stations. No, to just go in. There's like these what? clear gates and you got to pay a euro to go in. And it's like, I had such a mixed feeling about it because for one, I was like, what the fuck? Like I got to piss really, really bad. Now I got to like rummage through my pockets for a euro and hope I have a euro coin. Cause it only takes coins. And guess what? The card reader's not working. Um, and, it's a giant pain in the ass, but then you go in and instead of like your normal U.S. like public transit nightmare situation of a bathroom that is like seat ripped off, like feces everywhere, this was actually pretty nice and well taken care of. So I was like, okay, I can kind of appreciate paying for this so it's not just total fucking trash oh shit man that's how they get you that's how they get you and then and then then like a decade from now you're we're living in in joe chip's reality in which we have to pay our goddamn front door to let us out otherwise it's not gonna let us out right exactly exactly or it's like i get to a point where like i i don't get to my money in time and i just shit my pants in front of this clear glass thing and everyone looks at me and they're just like oh my god honey don't touch that homeless man and then all of a sudden i've fallen victim to the system and it's eating me it's eating you oh man this is like the next level to like to get like there, there is already a giant class divide this is the next step this is what elon musk is thinking about he's like this is how we need to make it even more of a divide so that way I feel like I'm more on top and not bad about what I'm doing with Twitter. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's just a cash grab and it's a cash grab for your shit. <laughs> That's what it is. That's what it is. But I mean, Peak, you're right. Um there are some things in this particular story that 
are antiquated and also kind of a little out there definitely before their time um a yeah. lot of a lot of what is actually uh put in here like like with a lot of good science fiction is um it is ahead of its time and as crazy as it sounds it's almost like reality almost aligns itself to match it at some point in time and oh yeah it's it's wild and it's wild and you know in some of the negative reviews that I have found about this book, they definitely go into um, just some of the dated topics, um, lifestyles. Oh yeah, Here, just, let's yeah, let's get into that. Actually, do the reviews. So on good old on ye old Goodreads, we're going over to Goodreads again. Uh, Ubik has a score of four point one. So Randy. Do you think it's better than the King James Bible? Yes. That is wrong. Is this like the King James Bible written by King James, LeBron James, on, <laughs> on how to play basketball? Because I can see that doing really well. No, no, this is the this is the Bible you find on pews and people ranting about. And it's got a cross on it, and oh boy. Uh, never, that, never heard of it. Ne, ne, <laughs> <laughs> Is this like a yet to be released story? Is this new? Oh no, it's ancient. It's ancient. It's got it's it, it it's kind of a book of poetry, believe it or not. Oh man, people take it, it real seriously. Uh, that's got it, a score, just so you know, on Goodreads of uh four four point four. So the King James Bible. This is is this like the formal version of the book called like King Jimmy's Big Book of Big No Nos? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Leviticus is an entire book that just says, "Don't fuck this. Don't fuck this. Don't put your dick there." Stop doing that. Okay, listen. You do, you obviously you don't know how to cook, cook pork, so just don't make pork. I'm pretty sure that there is a section in that book where they kind of explain to you like what level of cousin is okay to fuck. I think they do. Honestly, I, I actually think they do. I <laughs> they think do. it is very much like first one. Mm, no, second one better. Third is probably best though. <laughs> I, I, I do remember a section of Levit Leviticus where I think it says it is it is okay and right. It is it, you that is your godly right as a man to marry your sister's your your wife's sister if your wife passes away. Just do it. Right, right. Yeah, there's some. Qu <laughs> so I definitely remember like as a kid, like first, like being taught the story of like Adam and Eve and. And, like, I came to the conclusion where I was just like, oh, man, we're all inbred? <laughs> and then, yeah, like, enough time That's what goes, the book tells you. And then, like, enough time goes on to where I'm just like, okay, things are good. And then, like, boom. the Like, Noah and the Ark and the Flood happens. And then I'm just like, oh, Even you, more mean inbred. you mean we're double inbred? Yeah, we're double inbred. <laughs> Fuck. Fuck. No wonder they're like giving us guidance in the rest of the book on how not to fuck sheep and shit like that. <laughs> oh god. Um, okay. Okay. Sorry. So peak, I, I, peak. I'm sorry. Bit of a rant there. Bit of, um. I don't, I don't so, know how much of that's staying in, but. <laughs> 
I mean, if you look at if you look at the Goodreads, a lot of the people rating it are they're I don't know what they're doing. I think they're trying to submit like a doctoral thesis on this book because there are so many reviews that you click on read more and there's way more way more than you need so it's 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 a book that people like to talk about that's where we're talking about it yeah yeah I, it's it's kind of underrated in terms of philip k dick's books in terms of it's like not necessarily the most well-known or popular, but at the same time, like it's up there in top five, arguably top three of some of his work. Oh yeah. yeah um, absolutely. More so. And just like the action, the way the story flows and like some of the challenging, challenging, just kind of thoughts and ideas. Like it's, it's almost kind of a thought exercise in itself. And and there's definitely parts where like you kind of have to like reread because it it is inherently confusing at times. Oh yeah, because like I think like the best way to describe it is just lucid. It, like I, I would good, almost yeah. I would almost kind of describe it as a lucid dream. It yeah, it kind of is. It really is. Uh... They are kind of like you know there are kind of some flat characters and there's definitely kind of like some disposable characters like. This would be a pretty good action movie when it's just, like, it has a star-studded cast and then, like, a guy who you're just like, who the fuck is that? And it's like, <laughs> you know, like, dude, fucking Toby's going down. Toby is, Toby's taking a bullet at one point. Um, and, yeah, and like, the no, characters are going to be really upset about it, but you're going to be like, who the fuck was Toby? But, I mean, so, like, I mentioned that, like, he introduces a rogues gallery of characters and then spends no time with them. And they all sound very interesting, but then he's just like, yeah, they're not, they're not the main story here. And I feel like in a way that's kind of like a Rick and Morty move in which you would introduce all these interesting characters and you're like, ah, don't matter. Yeah. This, I mean, this is kind of like a heist movie in the sense of like a bunch of like, ridiculously just crazy characters with insane backgrounds are just introduced but it's introduced in just like a quick cutscene, and then that's it and then they maybe have like five lines like some of them might show up more like there's definitely some opportunity to maybe have something like almost like a lord of no not lord of the rings no almost like a game of thrones where you're kind of like oh i really like that guy and then like boom they're they're dead they turn into like a husk husk of a person all of a sudden as time devours them backwards um but oh we're feeling it we're getting the pkd in us oh oh boy i'm not gonna be i'm not gonna be normal for a while that's okay we're going into the weekend we'll work this off um <laughs> ubik is probably the best one that he wrote and the best one he He didn't know how to end a story. I'll say that much. I mean, if you read Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which is what Blade Runner's based off of, he just ends it with Deckard coming in the door at the end and being like, I'm going to go take a nap. And that's it. That's how he ends it. It's it's just, all right, 
there's other ones where there's one one book that he ends it. It's um, where it, it just ends with, and that guy reminded me of this other dude. That's it. That that's it. You're like, how is it the end? How what? There should be like another book here. Where's the other book? Like where's the other half? Like, it, <laughs> why did you end it there? Uh, but Ubik's actually a good one where when you, when he, he ends it and you're like, oh shit, wait, what? No way. How? What? Yeah, Peek. I mean, I would, I would agree with you there. I mean, this, this one, um, gives you a few twists and turns, almost like some Shyamalan twists before, um, there are, there's Mr. a lot of Shyamalan twists. Yeah, there are a lot of, a lot of Shyamalan twists in there. I don't know how um, Mr. Shamlin ha- happened to go back and provide PKD with that. Maybe they're both time travelers. But um, Shamabambalam? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he ends this very, very – I mean, I agree with you. He kind of rambles a bit in some of his endings. Um, but this one he nails. And, like, he nails to the level where to describe it or liken it to a film, it would be like Inception where the movie ends and he's spinning his top to, to like, you know, pretty much tell that he's back in reality and it never falls down. The movie just cuts out. And that's kind of how, how the, how the book ends here. And that's actually, you know, at the beginning you talked about the dreams you had when I asked you about what kind of movie would be most related to Ubik inception's probably the closest one. Maybe not premise and sci-fi why, but like, what is real? What is not real? What is like what? What's that distinction? Absolutely. I I don't know about you, Randy. I I, I can't really think of any other movies. What, what what one do you think would be? Are there any others other than the weird dream you had? No, I mean like Inception seems like the only one because I mean it's 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 high paced. You have a you have a large kind of group of characters with crazy backgrounds that like seem to be super cool, but at the same time you have no clue who they are. And then it and then it ends on a cliffhanger. Yeah, I don't think there's any others. No, I don't think well, there's it, any well, others. Inception also doesn't spend too much time with the other background characters because a lot of it's just around uh, uh, DiCaprio's character and then some of uh, what's her her name emma page page not page whatever her name is i think elliot page now i think that's the right yeah elliot (laughs) elliot page um um no yeah it is very similar yeah um and yeah i don't think there's any other films that are similar at all um at least none at all none that i want to talk about really okay ubic what the fuck is ubic what is it? it i mean is it an abbreviation for ubiquitous? Is it something in the story? Like why ubic? That's it's just such a unique name for a story or and a book. Well, we're gonna get get into that. So let me read you the basic summary here. Um, Glenn Runciter runs a lucrative business, deploying his team of anti psychs to corporate clients who want privacy and security from psychic spies. So in this world, there are psychics, and they can do some shit. Like, read your mind, see the future. Uh, I don't know. There's other things. Telepathy, maybe. 
it, he doesn't go too much in depth. Uh, but when he and his top team are ambushed by a rival, he is gravely injured and placed into Half-Life. Um, which all I understand from Half-Life, it is it means you have to go see a German? Well, he's a Swiss scientist. And that goes down a whole road of of PKD being obsessed with the Germans and Swiss. Anyway, it's it's a dreamlike state of suspended animation. Soon, though, the surviving members of the team begin experiencing some strange phenomenon, such as Ronsider's face appearing on their coins and the world seeming to move backward in time. As consumables deteriorate and the technology gets ever more primitive, the group needs to find out what is causing the shifts and what a mysterious product called Ubik has to do with all of it. It's like a Benjamin Button of action movies. It rolls backwards. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it kind of is. It kind of is. I actually would love to see that at some point (laughs) where it's just like, a welcome to the end claims it to be the Benjamin Button of action (laughs) stories. Oh my god. It starts out as an infant old man, but <laughs> fades back into an old man baby before disappearing in front <laughs> of your eyes. Old man baby. Yeah, no, it's, Peak, it's interesting because, like, as we've already kind of mentioned, like, it is futuristic in PKD's sense and in the world that he kind of creates throughout his, um, novels and the university builds where there's the starting point where it's like the world is kind of this dystopian future where you're having to pay for everything and then there's a point in the story when joe chip like notices all the coin operated pay for devices go away like the one yeah. on his refrigerator and he's kind of stoked about it because he's just he like, is it's like he almost has this like flash of like freedom or like i'm free of it i don't know what's going on but i'm free of that bullshit thank fucking god here is the welcome to the end version of the summary in which we're gonna spoil every fucking thing so if you listen to this up until this point and you don't want to get spoiled and you, you you're we've talked enough to interest you in the book go read the book and then come back or whatever we don't care uh but we're gonna spoil the shit out of this from now Absolutely. and so this this is gonna be our our summary and um, it starts off with runsitter is hanging out at his company and he gets this call where one of these psychics i don't know i think his name is stanton mick is he's gone missing and he's like what the fuck's up with this I'm going to need to like discuss business opportunities because of stand and mix, not like operating as much as possible. That means I'm not going to get contracted. So I don't make as much money. And that, that kind of asks you this entire weird question, which his entire business is predicated off of psychics spying on companies to steal their information. So I'm not entirely sure. Like it's a weird business model and I'm not sure how any of it's legal because the courts don't seem to be present at all in the story. Yeah, there's a certain level of chaos that I I do actually appreciate um, because it is very much kind of like this 
it's it's this corporate dystopian future and 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 it's and it's also pure chaos um, oh yeah pure in chaos. terms of like this is just this is like where like the government has zero control over corporations and it is corporations that battle with other corporations using psychics and then also using anti-psychics like it's insane that, like it's that's an insane concept on itself so that's where he starts. Peak, I I think we might be living in some aspect of that right now in the sense of in in this scenario it is they're trying to block precogs from seeing the future, but we I believe live in a scenario where reality is actually fed to us, so we actually fall into a predictive path for those that are actually spinning the web of what reality is before maybe us. it's sort don't of you, if don't you fucking we live... say ghost <laughs> don't, don't you say no 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 i was about to say if we lived in like a reality where everything was a corporate culture and then the only way like bezos or zuckerberg or must could get ahead over each each other was they would hire whole teams of just internet data people to go in and steal that shit and hack into them and then sell it so then musk and like bezos are like dueling in this weird thing where they have to then hire their own anti-hackers to like keep it out but then uh, that just seems way too nerdy this is more like psychedelic and crazy with PKD's version. Yeah, I mean, this is like a psychedelic version of the Cola Wars, where it's just billionaire against <laughs> billionaire. The Cola Wars. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is that's that's what this is. That's what this is. Um, Runciter, he's trying to figure out his business thing. So he goes to Zurich to meet with his wife. And his wife is currently in Cold Pack in Half-Life because she passed away. But Half-Life is this special program where it allows you to talk to your deceased relative. And there's only so much time in Half-Life you got. So uh, there's a limited time that you can revive them. The more you revive them, the, that's like the more time that you activate their brain activity and they die more and more. So it's this crazy, psych- psychedelic, weird sci-fi concept. But he goes, he goes talk to, to her, his wife, Ella. And while he's talking to Ella, trying to figure out business decisions for what to do, this kid, this fucking entity called Jory takes over and is just like, hey, how's it going? What's like, like, like in the world? And... Runciter is an old man. I don't know if we said this, but Runciter's, I, th- I think he's like 90. And he's like, who is this? Who is this? Get this kid out of here. I want to talk to my wife, my 20-year-old wife, which that doesn't bring up any questions at all. Yeah, actually, you know what? If um, if Runciter, I, I think if Runciter was actually played, because you were talking about Wilford Brimley and and there, there is some merit to that, but I could see Runciter also being played by, uh, like Harrison Ford at this age. 
Oh, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. He's still alive because he, he would be good. Oh, oh yeah, he'd be he really is. good because Runsitter has like real like. Where's my wife? Where's my wife? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so honestly, all right, we're casting this. I, I'm I'm sticking with Runsitter as Harrison Ford. That's that's a good call. That's a really good call. The next setup is then you get the scene of uh, our main protagonist called Joe Chip. And Joe Chip is not good with money, as we said. He's a deadbeat. He's just he he. He's got some issues. And it starts with Joe Chip waking up in his apartment. They call them conaps. I don't know what that means. I've read this book a few times now, and I still don't understand a con app other than it sounds like you have to pay all of your appliances with coins to make them work. Right. It's uh, it's like the equivalent of pretty much moving into like a large apartment complex where you have to buy the cable package. Yeah. Yeah. But it's but then it's also like the can opener. And that's the thing about these, this, these corn operated machines. They have so much snark. They're like, they're like an Alexa or, or a Siri when you just tell them things and they just give you such snark. Yeah, no, they're it's AI with attitude. And also like, if you fuck with it, it also knows how to like completely destroy you on the internet. Yeah. Um, so it's like, Imagine, like, I don't know, like, a teenage TikTok girl or star or something like that that can just completely just destroy you on the internet. <laughs> Combined with, like, the talking taxi in the original Total Recall. Oh, God. So it's, like, comically, oh, it's comically just dumb as shit, but also just, like, controls the most mundane aspects of your life. But it's also so believable where you're like, fuck, this is going to happen. This yeah. this, is, this is real. Oh, God. It's so dumb that it is. It's it's. Oh. So Joe Chip in one of these guys. Gosh, I'm misplacing his name. He's a minor character. He only shows up within the first few pair, like first few chapters. But he shows up with this girl named Pat Conley and she has a special talent that does like no one's ever found before. So they're really excited because Joe chip works for Runciter. He's the guy who checks these anti-psychics people's talents to make sure like how strong are they? Like how effective, how good are they? Are they, are they good for, Runciter's business and that's what Joe Chip is a specialist at is figuring out that and he, it sounds like he has a whole battery of equipment and it sounds like such a mess because it's I just imagine a guy just carrying around like a bunch of computer equipment all the time because he just can't afford a backpack yeah it's like it's like it's like a he's like he's walking around with like an EMF reader all the time <laughs> But more like, like, a, like, or like a, there's or a like computer a, and there's just so like much a, shit like a feet encounter or, or, <laughs> or, 
or something where it's just like you know you get into like the magical berry pyramid scheme and they're they're checking your levels and you have to like sit down and hold like two candles and you don't know where to put your feet and then you find out you have toxins <laughs> and need a bunch of berries. <laughs> You're just describing a it's always sunny episode. <laughs> I mean, they're on to something there. <laughs> so... But but so Joe has all this equipment because Joe, being a schlubby average man, actually has no real skills or talents. He's not yeah. a psychic, he's not an anti psychic. This is all he can do, but he's really important to Runciter because he's the only one that, like, knows how to do all this shit and how to, like, put the equipment together. Oh, so no, Runciter... it's, it's mind-blowing, too, like, how broke he is and the fact that he is, like, he appears to be second in command of this, like, powerful, like, multinational corporation company that it, and it's just, like... Like, but he can't he can't afford to open his own goddamn door for ten cents. And he gets in a fight with it when he tries to pry it open. <laughs> he does. And so it's and it and it's only at the rescue of this Philip K. Dick classic dark haired um yep. woman. Um oh, young this, woman. Young, young woman. That's yeah. This dark hair problematic. Is problematic. That's um, problematic. Problematic. Um, so Pat, Pat Connolly, she possesses a talent that allows her to basically go back into the past and change something that she wants it to be. But no one can read it because it's a past thing. And it takes this into this whole psychedelic thing where like she takes him into a whole reality where chip is married to pat but then she's able to keep things from that future because she reverts it back to the normal timeline where but she still has the ring i don't know like that's 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 a really creepy section of the book where you're like what the fuck just happened yeah i mean uh, a big part of this is is it pretty much it's like with a lot of a lot of PKD stories, average guy who doesn't have necessarily talent but is just good at one thing that he does. One thing um, stumbles upon stumbles upon like some mysterious um, female lead that uh, possesses just this ability that is above like all other um, abilities of these um, just kind of. Mm-hmm. talented precogs or anti-psychic um oh professionals. yeah um and 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 with with this i mean it like leads to a point where it's like he definitely realizes that he's in deep with this particular character but at the same time runs into a situation where he is relying on this character um and pretty much like there's there's a point where like after he escapes his this terrible just hellscape of coin operated apartment life and actually goes to to Runciter and um he pretty much just like warns Runciter like she might be dangerous because she's like on a whole other level from what I've read. There's another aspect to this that I completely forgot to mention. 
when it comes to Pat Connolly and the fact that because she can read, like she she can she can jump back into the past and change that that to change the future. So when she initially meets with Joe Chip, she just starts tr- like the other guy leaves and she's in his apartment and she just starts stripping naked, just stripping. And Joe's like, why are you doing this? Like, wh- what's going on? What's this? And she's like, well, in the previous, previous present, uh, you didn't like me and you rejected me. So uh, this is the only way that seems to be that, that will work. And then she just fucks him just, just out of nowhere. So uh, this is a real like 1950s, 1960s fuck your boss kind of mentality. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's that madman type mentality or approach to it. Yeah. Yeah. So then skip to Runciter. Runciter gets this big deal. Like this woman comes in out of nowhere and it's like, we want some of your highest level anti Sykes to come in and protect us. We have this big mission. We need all this stuff. And Runciter, after a little bit of back and forth and corporate drama, says, okay, yeah, we'll do it. But we'll only bring in 12, 12, 12 of our highest, best people. And we're going to charge you at this amount. And the woman's like, no problem. It's a little high, but no problem. And it's a giant figure. Yeah, it's one of those where they're just like, yeah, we don't know if we want to do this. This seems like a trap. But, yeah, let's put out a crazy big offer that's ridiculous and they'll probably turn us down. And then they say yes. Um, And there's there's a few notable characters throughout. There is, uh, I would say the first one is this character called Wendy Wright, which PKD describes her as this buxom blonde just heartthrob character that joe chip is super infatuated with not just infatuated like he just dreams about banging this girl meanwhile he comes in with pat conley on his arm just like whatever we got the day and he's like i don't know about this black haired young girl oh but i mean i got the impression that wendy wright like joe joe chip had actually hooked up with wendy wright at some point where to to the point where like their relationship almost was, was like that of like a really really hot girl that like someone had dated in high school and like went to college with and like managed to kind of maybe sleep with a couple times but then she met other boys and moved on from joe and joe was just kind of left like defeated and heartbroken and always secretly in love but but also devastated by her i don't know that was kind of part of the the sense i got between the two it was a unique situation i'd say out of like characters the relationship between wendy and joe are is actually one of the more complicated um, and actually more um, kind of thought out. Uh, but we're, we're going to move forward. So they all group together, this rogues gallery. They come together and they go to the moon because that's where the contract is. 
So they go to the moon, they go under the moon, like they, they land in this rocket that's owned by Runciter, like it's his specialized private rocket that can hold up to 20 people and just flies to the moon just casually because that's where the business venture is. Oh, and, and bar, <laughs> bar in mind, the year in the story, I believe, is 1991. 1992. This is okay, 92. <laughs> this is this is the the PKD universe of 92 when we had just random commercial private space flight to moon bases. Moon where, and, and there's a Mars base. And Mars base, there's other yeah, there's other outer planetary developments uh colonies, but um in this situation, you have a group of um size fucking weirdos which is total weirdos who are flying to the moon to hunt out precogs yep not just precogs but other like psychics and just like it's such a weird psychedelic setting so they go down to the moon to meet their business colleague and things are immediately weird where the lady's acting strange and then Runciter's just like, Joe Chip, get a reading on the area. Make sure, like, we get a psychic field. See, like, how much espionage is occurring around us to, to get an idea of who's trying to get at us so we can understand we have, if we've brought enough people. And so <laughs> they just, like, they go off. And he's, like, reading the field. And the guy who employed Runciter comes down, but he's not exactly the guy. He's described as this machine outfitted bubble man. It's such a weird scene. And it's like, I just imagine the character talking in such a high voice. It's like, hello. Ah! He comes in out of nowhere. He's like and, crusty and animated and somehow kind of looks and operates like Mr. Freeze from Batman exactly and, and, and it's oh like, and, god and it's like he's just staring at this group that just pretty much just looks like your normal like goers at the flagstaff turquoise festival i mean i'm just talking <laughs> i'm just talking overweight dudes with double chins ponytails lots of turquoise lots of ladies with crystals like wearing dresses that are also kind of pants but also kind of scarves and yeah yeah um so that type of that type of that this is setting the scene he then like asked wait did you just get a reading and joe chip is like yeah i just got a reading and there's no psychic field at all so what's going on here and Rensiter is just immediately like fuck okay everyone get out of here get out of here and the guy just floats up to the ceiling this weird fucking dude, he floats to the ceiling. I mean, they're on the moon, but he floats to the ceiling and then explodes. Yeah. And that's where, like, Ubik actually takes off. I'm just going to say. I will say, like, when I was reading it, all that was going through my head was actually one of the scenes from Dune. Like, Oh, yeah? When Baron Van, ha- Van Harkonnen, like, kind of, like, flies up to the ceiling, like, in, like, the attack that takes out, like, one of his main guys, <laughs> like, floats up, but, like, it's it's very sloppy and chaotic. It's not like Yeah, yeah, this is yeah. a very sloppy one where he just, like, floats up and he's like, oh, no, ah, don't leave now. And, and it like, turns Jesus. out 
that that person was a hundred percent real, right? Like that was a person, definitely not anything else, right? No, no, definitely not an exploding android creature thing of pure nightmares. Um, so they explode. Everyone's like, like the scene's chaotic and ringing in the ears, and Runciter's on the ground, bleeding and dying out. And they're like, "All right, we gotta take him. We gotta get him to the ship." So they go through this whole process of getting him to the ship, putting him in cold pack, and they're like, oh, "I don't know if we got him in cold pack long enough." Well, okay, fuck it. We need we we, we need to get we need to get to Zurich. We need to get to Von Volgastite so we can put him in cold pack and get him in half life. So that way we can know what to do for the business. So they fly to Zurich. Von Volgastite flies in on a little fucking I don't know. Like, I just imagine it's a little helicopter from George Jetson kind of style with this fucking German Swiss doctor out of some nightmarish Nazi thing. That's all I can imagine. Comes in and is like, oh, no, this is so terrible. I'll get Glitterunciter in a cold pack and we can get him in a half-life in no time. Oh, and Joe's like, I don't care. Whatever, just do it. The Half-Life Mortician is insufferable, and the characters, like, he clearly is just this weird, like, Willy Wonka of yes, Half-Life Willy Wonka. Mortuary. He, like, he's a Willy Wonka Mortician, um, if you can imagine that, and um, you as a reader hate this person, too. Yeah, he's not a, yeah. not a likable character. No, and it's and it's not like he does anything. It's just like the character's insufferable, and you question if it has actually any morals. Yeah, exactly. It's so weird. Um, so it could be an well, android. So, so like he's like, no worry, I'll be there in no time. And in the mean, in the meantime, they they arrive at Zurich. They land. They get everything ready. They're waiting for him. And Joe's like, he's shaking. He's just shaking. He's just a He's like, oh, oh, God, oh, God, what's happening? So naturally, he asks his friend Joe to give him some money so he can go get some coffee from the Zurich station. You mean Joe asks where... Joe, Joe Pat for money, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, he asks Al. Al Al is his name. Oh, that's right. Okay, yeah, yeah. Al plays an important part. Um, So, like, he gives him some money. He goes to get coffee. And, gosh, this is another scene where the, like, little coin-operated machines are such dicks because he gets the coffee and the coffee is like old and degraded and disgusting and he's like this this is not good coffee and it's like and the machine's just like fuck you <laughs> it is it is fucked up because the the machine is not only like fuck you but it's like we all know you're broke as shit yeah exactly. like that's the fuck like the <laughs> fucked up part is like they are like Nope, you're not getting this too bad, and we know that you're a deadbeat that is in so much debt. Yeah. Um because you went to DeVry University. <laughs> Kyle from DeVry? Kyle from DeVry that majored in internet technologies. <laughs> so like he's just like whatever. He goes he but then Al comes back and says, Hey, Volgolstein's here. We're gonna go in the copper to to see to see Runciter into Half Life, and so they go in and like the entire time Joe's freaking out. Al's trying to be like the steady hand of 
don't worry about it, Joe. It's all right. It's okay. Runs are just going to make it out of this. But Joe's like, I got a bad feeling. I got a terrible feeling. And finally, I was just like, fuck it. Here's all my money, Joe. You're freaking out too much. Go get a hotel. And I'm going to go convince Wendy Wright to join you. I, I'll work it out for you, man. I'll be a good, good wingman here for this one time because I just can't handle this bullshit that you're doing right now in this stressful situation. And Joe is stoked. He Joe is. He's like stoked <laughs> and nervous. He's like, oh, bud. Oh, man. He's like, I have not trimmed my pubes in so long. Like, give me at least an hour. <laughs> it's a mess down there. <laughs> Yeah, he's psyched. He's, he's psyched. He's absolutely, like, he's just... So Joe, like, he nervously is like, okay, yeah, fine, I'll do it. All right, Al. And Al then takes the rest of the team back to New York because uh, we didn't mention this, but Rensiter is based out of New York. That's where, like, his business is. So they go back to New York. He sends Wendy right over. So then it goes to Joe wakes up in the morning, and Wendy Wright never came by. He just wakes up. He's feeling really cold and empty. And he's like, what the fuck is going on? And his phone rings. And he, well, no, his phone doesn't ring. He goes to pick up his phone to call Vogelstein to see what Runciter's condition is. Because Vogelstein, after an hour, is like, I don't know. We're having a trouble getting through to him. It's kind of hard. So why don't you just, you know, go? And we'll, we'll call you. So he calls Vogelstein. And when he picks up the the, the the phone, all he hears is Runciter just talking about business shit. Just imagine you picking up your phone to call them, but then suddenly you just get like their direct stream of consciousness of business conversation. I feel like that would kill you, right? Yeah, and I mean, Peak, you might not fully remember or be on board with this or or really like any any younger people might not but i mean this is the equivalent of like going to make a phone call back when all everyone had was landlines oh but god someone else is actually just having a conversation on the line yeah yeah exactly it's like one of those so <laughs> he's like what the fuck is that and then Volgestein just shows up at his hotel room. He's like, I've been trying to get a hold of you, but your line's busy. And he's like, well, that's because Ronsiter's on my line. And he's like, Ronsiter's on your line? That's so strange. We haven't been able to get through to him. So, like, he picks up the phone. He's like, all I hear is a dial tone. You're crazy. And Joe's like, weird. And he's like, hey, shouldn't you be with another colleague of yours? Because we're going to send you back to New York. And he's like, colleague? No, I'm the only one here. But he's like... I thought Wendy Wright was going to come by. He's like, so then he just like goes to his closet and finds a decayed corpse in there and immediately knows it's Wendy. Yeah. It's like a husk. It's like a husk of a corpse. And um, it's not a good scene or a good look at all. No, no, Um, he's, he's broken. Yeah. Like it looks like life was actually sucked out of, of this corpse from how it's described. Like how the like like the Dementors got to him, and, or something. and and it's just a husk. It's just a husk. Yeah. And also, I mean, I think it's also worth worth noting here too with the with the half life, it is kind of dependent on what condition and how quickly they get you in. So one of the big things here yeah. with Glenn Glenn Runsitter is like they got him there, but they might have like left him dead for a little too long. A little too long, yeah. To yeah. actually, <laughs> and it's like, and it's like, yeah, they put him in there, but it's like. 
we can't get a hold of him. And it doesn't necessarily define, like, well, where they're actually at. It's, like, different levels, but but that'll kind of reveal itself later on. Yeah, it's, it's really vague. So, Chip, uh, Joe is, like, he's obviously freaked out in... And Volgenstein's like, we need to call, we need to call the police. We need to get on, on board with this, all this shit. And he's like, just, just quiet. Just, just deal with her. Just like, just, just you know, put like barrier. I'm going to go to New York and figure this out. And Volgenstein's like, ah, blah, blah. but he finally like convinces him, goes to New York. And that's where he tells Al immediately when he meets him. Hey, Wendy never made it. She's died. And in this process where he goes to meet Al and like all the people are back at the boardroom, there's a, there's a lot that happens here, but, but Al, like they then go to Baltimore for some reason on this weird expedition because everyone's been noticing that their money is turning into weird, like renter coins and older coins. And it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's and, like renter is like trying to communicate with them, but they're just like, how and why is he trying to communicate with us or tell us something when he's already dead? They go to Baltimore to just buy some stuff and they find that it's already old. Like it's people are dying, pe- buying pets that then die like they're dead and de- decomposed within a day. Yeah. And it's a matter of scale too. like, they don't necessarily pick up on it right away. And you as a reader does, you don't necessarily pick up on it right away where uh, it's, it's like technology itself also kind of starts to wind back a little bit. And like, if you think of it, you know, you wind back a year from now, you know, a year into the past and there's not much difference. You go five years. There's There's not much difference. You go 10 years some difference but not much difference if you're just waking up into it 20 years maybe not much but i mean shit you start going beyond that and then like there's certain things that scale they go back to new york to meet up with the group al is he goes they go to the elevator and al freaks out because he sees like an old 1910s elevator and he's like i can't get in that thing i'm gonna go to the bathroom and he goes to the bathroom and he's there for a long time. So Joe goes in and be like, what's going on? Al is just slumped over and just decrepit. And Joe sees this like thing on the wall that says, you were all dead and I'm alive. Runciter. Something, something to that degree. Yeah. And Joe's like, what the fuck? And then he goes back to the boardroom to try to meet up with everyone. And no one's there. Because they've all left for Des Moines. What are you talking about? I mean, we're we're working with the big three here on the world. We have Zurich, Switzerland. We have New York, New York, and we have Des Moines, Iowa. Des Moines, uh, Iowa. <laughs> I think it goes in that order. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Um. All this goes out to all our Des Moinesites. So, Joe like walks into the boardroom and it's empty, but there's this screen. And suddenly this commercial comes on with, with Runciter. Runciter's like talking about this product called Ubik. And this is something about every chapter at Ubik. Every chapter starts off with this, it's this advertisement for Ubik, but it's never the same thing. It could be like a drinking beverage. It could be like a bra. It could be anything. 
but they're always advertising for Ubik. So you're always wondering, what the fuck is Ubik, and why are they saying? Yeah, it's like it it's fixes everything, no everything. matter what it is. And actually, this plays into my thought that like we're actually living in part of this where actually our reality is being fed to us. Oh shit, man! So he goes through this whole like advertisement, and it feels like Rensiter, Glenn Rensiter, is talking to Joe Chip through this advertisement, but then halfway through, like, like Glenn just starts talking about random shit. That's it seems like an advertisement, and Joe's like, hmm. Maybe it's not him talking to me directly. Maybe I'm just crazy. Oh well, I'm gonna. I need to get to Des Moines to see Runciter because I guess that's where they're having the funeral because Runciter didn't make it through Half Life. Yeah. So he goes down to the air. He go. He leaves the building and then like things just immediately started progressing more and more into shitville. We're well, like, it's like it's like that tipping point where it's like instead of going from like the 90s to the 80s it's like all of a sudden you're in like the 60s or 70s or like 50s where you're just like wait what the fuck is going like like the quality of cars like shit like that the dress of people the actual like talk and jargon of people start changing yeah like it becomes very noticeable that time is moving backwards or backwards. reality or, or or something is i mean it's stories of like turning down an alley and seeing like a scene out of like the 1940s, but then like you, you turn around and it's just back to reality. Yeah. So the thing we didn't talk about is 1992 in this world, there's flying cars and all this crazy things beyond psychics. You know, they can go to the moon, they can go to Mars. It's no problem. So by the time Joe gets down to the floor level of where Runciter's headquarters is out of in New York, everything's degraded to 1960s where like there's diesel cars so he has to drive this car physically to the airport and then he gets to the airport and they're like he's like i need a flight to des moines and they're like okay a flight to des moines that's no problem we'll get you there in no time you got any money and he's like i don't have any money that you would accept uh i have this nice really nice car that i would be willing to trade for it and they're like, okay, well, you know, we know this one guy that might would be willing to do it. So he, he goes to the one guy, and the one guy's like, hmm, yeah, I'll take that deal. And he goes, looks at the car, but the car's deteriorated back to like the 1910s kind of kind of car. So it's degraded like 30 years. And it's just a pile of shit now. And he's like, ah, shit, man, sorry about that. But he has this thing of Ubik. That's been degraded into like 1800s. It's like this relic. And the pilot's like, well, that's pretty neat. I haven't seen Ubik in a while, especially this style. Well, you could get on my plane that then slowly turns into like a normal plane that then turns into a biplane that they fl fly over the course of a day to Des Moines. Right. Yeah. It's like insane. It's yeah, it's nuts. And yeah, it's like, yeah, Joe is carrying around this what starts out as like kind of like a spray bottle of uh Ubik that that is like sent to him. Like yeah, from sent to him. Um from Runciter. Um and, and and meanwhile, like this this like badass ragtag group of size just have like slowly died and 
been eaten and turned into husks of not people. not yet not yet we'll get uh, to that well, no it kind of like progresses but yes yeah, so, sorry i'm getting ahead i'm getting ahead and joe finally shows up and <laughs> they're like where the fuck have you been joe is like i man it's been a it's been a whole journey to get here i don't want to talk like i'm i'm gonna go see rensiter because there's some shit going on that you're not aware of and i'm not gonna try to explain because of reasons so they're they're asking joe like what's going on what's going on joe's like well we're all i think we're all dead like i think we're all in co-pack actually like we're in half-life and they're like that's bullshit man Runciter's dead you just saw him like he's dead and joe's like i'm not i'm not sure i don't know i don't know Let's let's all go back to the hotel. I know we need to stick together because Wendy Wright died as a corpse. Al's dead as a corpse, and people are just disappearing willy nilly, and we we can't have this. Yeah, it's like as they separate, they they almost like they get separated from the pack. They become like victims of a predator. Or, or yeah, this is where that like lines. that slow creeping horror of the whole story just creeps in. We're like, who's gonna be next? Joe's driving one of one of the cars for some reason to get back to the hotel. And he gets pulled over by a cop for not not signaling in 1939. I remind you. Which seems really absurd. It's just an absurd thing where like even Joe's like the fuck? And he tells everyone in the car, "Go on, get out. Just go like we're only a block from the hotel. You guys go ahead, walk up to the hotel. I'm good. I'll go, I'll get the ticket. Fuck it. I don't care." And so they get out, they leave. The police officer just shows up as like real Midwestern fucking attitude. Like, yeah, yeah, there's that. There's that. And then combined with like kind of the paranoia around the fact that they think that they're either being hunted or like their um, CEO was killed by by this dude, Ray Hollis. So there's kind of this thing where they're like, they they feel like they might be being kind of hunted by this um, competing corporation that happens oh, yeah. to do with like corporate espionage, and then and then you just meet a bunch of crusty, crusty just people that don't care for city people. Exactly. So he gets a ticket, and the ticket is actually a message from Runciter. At least that's what Joe thinks, or. And to go to this this fucking drugstore to get Ubik. Everyone's like, yeah, we're all freaking out. We're missing more people. I don't know where they went. I can't use my powers because Pat has that power to go back in time to change things. So it's like, go back in time and make so, so fucking Runciter's alive. And Pat's just like, I like, at first she's like really passive aggressive about it. Shit like, like just absolute like honestly like a real bitch about it and then finally she's like i can't i can't my power hasn't worked since since the moment of the moon i can't do anything i can't do anything and i think this is your biggest key like this is your biggest clue in that oh shit they probably are actually dead like they are actually dead um yeah and i think actually one one aspect that we did overlook and that's that role of pat conley and and her powers and there i mean there is a point post um runciter and like once um wendy dies in the hotel room and and joe goes through all this that he kind of he suspects that pat might be 
behind this in some way because Pat actually kind of had the abilities that were so strong to actually go back and almost alter reality even exactly. from the future um and and so uh there was kind of that piece but at the same time um it's like pat almost forgets her powers part way through it seems like and then like it seems to go so far back that like she um no longer seems to have any powers or recollection of powers <laughs> this kind of thing so like everyone decides to go to the room and finally, Pat Connolly is there, and Joe calls her out for him to be like, you're the one that's causing time to go backward. You're the one doing this. And she's like, nah, nah, you're fine. You just need to go to bed. And so he's like, yeah, I need to I need to go to bed. Yeah, that sounds good. So he, like, goes to the elevator, but he sees this 1910s elevator with, like, a, one of those people in the elevator that helped move it up and down. And he's like, Oh shit, this is what Al saw and he died. I'm not going to do that. And he's like, "Pat, where's the stairs?" And Pat's like, "It's just right this way." And then she proceeds to torture him as he like slowly climbs the stairs in misery and agony of like a dying decrepit person. And she's just like, "Oh, this is this is real great. Like this is just fun to watch you suffer and whatnot." And yeah, yeah, I know you're going to, I won't bother you at all. He finally gets to the stairs and she's like, yeah, your room's just right down there. I'm not going to bother you. And I'll make sure the doctors never see you. And throughout that whole scene, Joe's just like going through this giant, like Shakespearean monologue about how Pat's the evil of the world and how she's the cause of all of this suffering. And she's just just wanting to rip the wings off a butterfly and watch it suffer at its death. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, it is like a cat playing with, like, a dead mouse or, like, a half-dead yeah. bird where it's just, like, it's just fucking with it. And Joe's just like, I'm dying here, man, and this is the most evil, evil, evil woman in the world. And she's just like, oh, don't worry. I got a room for you to just go die in no big deal because you're no big deal. So he finally reaches his room and he's like crawling towards his bed and finally hears the gruffled voice of Runciter. And I, this is actually a moment where I could actually see Harrison Ford playing the part. Like he just sitting in the chair, just like, Joe, I'm sorry. I couldn't help you. Runciter <laughs> goes through this big, long spiel about like, he finally is like, Joe, you need to use the Ubik. And he like he sprays the Ubik over him and Joe's like, Oh my god, I feel like I'm not dying anymore. This is insane. Like, what's happening? And like Glincider's like, Well, it's gotta be Pat Conley. It's gotta be Cat Pat Conley, because like her, her 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 ability, like what she's doing, like obviously she's been hired by by Ray Hollis, my adversary, to like to to, to do this to you guys and, and take you back in time and I don't understand it. And finally, Joe, like Joe's thinking through it and he's like, well, okay. If we're in half life and we're slowly dying out and not coming to, and you're the only one in the real world still, that doesn't make sense. So you, you don't know any more than I do. And Runciter finally gives it up. He's like, I have no fucking idea what's going on. 
man. Right, right. Like, Runciter apparently is, like, the only one actually in Switzerland that is actually talking to them mm-hmm. in Half-Life. Yeah, in Half-Life. This is where it crosses into, like, the South Park version of Inception. Yeah. Where it's, like... Oh, yeah. It's, like, a, a taco inside of a taco inside of a chalupa inside of a Taco Bell that's also <laughs> inside of a KFC that is inside <laughs> your brain. Exactly. It's a lot like that. Yeah. It's... Um, but you, but then you kind of like find out like the power of Ubik, which actually, as you're describing it, I'm just like, is this just like PKD kind of just coming through and just saying like, hey, amphetamines and cocaine just make everything all the better for me. Why doesn't it for you? It's the fix all for all. <laughs> Maybe uh, there is one aspect of this entire story in setting that we haven't talked about. And the fact that amphetamines are just freely available, like they're offered as a, as an option instead of sleep. It's like, oh, are you feeling stressed here? Have an amphetamine. It will be no problem. It's on the house. It's not charged at all. You're like, oh, man, PKD. Just yeah. why? That's a big, I mean, that's part of PKD's future. (laughs) And I think his present and his past. I feel like if we got a corporatocracy in which the entire world was controlled by corporations, it'd be like this in which they're like, yeah, amphetamines, that's fine. That means the workers can be more productive. Right. I mean, it goes back to like the Rick and Morty um, comparison where it's like when the whole galactic federation takes over and just feeds everyone pills. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, okay, but I mean back to it it's like all right, so Joe like he he survives his near like death eating experience within Half-Life um through Ubik, but Ubik. Um yeah. but then he comes out and he actually uh discovers something that is kind of unsettling and actually a little unpredictable considering. And once Rensiter's like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why you're like this. Joe's like, well, there's obviously two forces at work. There's whoever is behind the decay and the death and, and the, and like why time is reversing. And then there is someone behind Ubik. And I don't know who it is, but I'm going to meet them. And he beats them. So, Runciter's like, all right, I have to go now. I'm sorry, Joe. I've helped you as much as I can right now, but I got to go. So Runciter leaves. Joe's on his own. And that's when uh, one of the people of the team returns with a doctor's like, I'm going to look at you, see what's going on. And just like, I'm feeling fine now. Like I took Ubik. It's fine. It's fine here. There's a bit of the spray can left. Why don't you take some of that spray can? And the guy's like, mm, I don't know. But if, if you say so, all right, I'll do it. So he sprays himself with Ubik. This is the last character that's like left of the team because he's like, Joe, they're all dying, man. They're all dying. It's bad. It's bad. So the guy sprays the Ubik over him. And instead Don, of it being Don the, Denny, Don Denny is Don. the name of, yeah. And what happens to Don Denny is it turns into a little boy who is the most evil fucking little Satan kid you could ever think of. And that is Jory. That's right. Jory has fucking returned. Jory is back. And Jory was the one that would always kind of slip into 
uh, interfere whenever Run Sitter would try to talk to his wife Ella, and exactly. if, like, Jory like kind of like tormented Ella, but they didn't realize what all Jory was actually doing because it turns out like much like with coming into Half Life, you know, after not necessarily being preserved well enough, also going into Half Life as a child presents certain problems. Exactly. And Jory's learned that he can survive a lot longer in Half-Life if he just eats everyone. Because it's this weird psychic soul place. Like it's it's like the souls are in a are in this like half-life between dying and not dying, so they they end up in a purgatory sense. And Jory wants to stay there. And he just keeps eating people. So there's this whole scene that plays out where where Joe has a conversation with Jory and is like, what's going on? And this is where a lot of what like what's happened. This is where Jory reveals that a lot of the reality he's seeing, Jory's created, but he, he hasn't been able to keep it going. So it's reverted. But it's reverted back to 1939. Um, and finally, he's like, I'm leaving. And Jory's like, I'll find you and eat you soon enough. Bye, Joe. <laughs> and so he gets in a taxi. He travels around Des Moines because they're still in fucking Des Moines, Iowa, for some reason, in the 1939s. And he's like going around and he immediately asks the driver. He's like, are there any house of prostitution? And the driver's like, no, sir, we don't do that around here. And he's like, oh, shame. Cause, cause, and the reason why he's asking this is not just because Joe is horny, but I think he's also horny is, is because Jory revealed that he's created the entire reality around him. So he's trying to like create a way to break the reality to, to shed away Jory who has so much control over what he perceives. And he's trying to, trying to create his own reality. And yeah, it's again, it's kind of like Rick and Morty in, in that episode where they're in the reality machine, and but that the aliens trap them in. And like, the oh, more yeah, complex that the reality becomes, the more stress and the harder it is on the machine to keep up. And like, so Jory is controlling this and Joe kind of connects the dots of, oh, the more complicated and the further I go the more it also stresses Jory. Exactly. So I think that's why he starts asking about houses of prostitution and wanting to do that because Jory's a young kid who doesn't exactly have a lot of experience with sex. Right. You can't put that together. He can't. And so like in trying to do so, uh, Jory exposes himself because Jory is hiding in the background of all of this. Yeah. So finally, while they're driving along, Joe sees this girl and he's like, hey, driver, pull over. Pick, I want to talk to that girl. And the driver's like, I don't know, man. I don't know. She's 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 pretty she's pretty pretty there. And you're not going to I don't think you have a chance with her. He's like, just pull over. So he talks to the girl and somehow this blonde, really beautiful, nice girl like is immediately all about what Joe is talking about. And Joe, he comes out as a real crazy person with her and she's all about it. And she's like, okay, yeah, let's go have dinner. Absolutely. Let's do it. I want to do it. Yeah, let's do it. And she gets in the car 
And once they get in the car and they're driving, she hands him a list and basically reveals she's Ella. She is Ella Rensiter. And this is where you're like, oh, shit, man. What? No way. You as as the reader, you don't see it coming. Joe doesn't see it coming because it's and and she kind of like lays out like how she's been tormented herself by Jory. Yeah, and she, along with other people in Half-Life, have created Ubik. Like, she's the person behind Ubik. So, Ella gives her gives Joe a list of where he can get Ubik, and he gets a free lifetime of supply of Ubik because, for some reason, one of the only things that's carried over to this reality of Half-Life from real life is his uh, inability to have money. <laughs> Yeah, that just kind of follows him throughout all of it. Uh, he t- turns out not having anything in the future doesn't mean you're going to have anything in the past. Or means you're going to have nothing in the past as well. Because much like time, like being broke can only work out for you flowing with, if time flows forward. It's like that Futurama episode when like Fry ended up having, I think, like $2 in his bank account when he went missing. <laughs> and then, like, a thousand years later, after, like, all the interest and everything, he ended up being, like, one of the richest people ever. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Oh, my God. Right, right. But, so, like, Jory is a real fucking asshole because like yeah. okay joe joe gets the lifetime certificate of ubik spray but jory then just starts turning all the cans of ubik spray into just a fucking useless powder exactly um, so like yeah. he goes he goes to one of the the stores that sells ubik and he walks in and the like and the guy who runs the store is coming out is like oh sorry sir i'm just about to close up here now and joe's like I'm just looking to get Ubik, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry about that. You'll have to come back tomorrow to get that. He's like, no, I'm already in the store. It's all right. And halfway through the conversation, just like, cut the shit. You're Jory. I know you're Jory right now. And this old just like this old doctor guy just starts talking the voice of a 10-year-old, which that that in itself is terrifying, too. It's just like, ah, oh, man, that's... Yeah, I'm Jory, but yeah, I mean, yeah, we got Ubik. I can't change that, but I've I've been reverting it, so it's useless. So you can't use it at all. I'll do it all the time. Fuck you. <laughs> and and so Joe's like, I don't care. I want the Ubik. So he purchases the, he gets the Ubik, and he's just in the store. He's like, turn into a spray can, and Jory's just like, give it up, Joe. You can't do it. And then Joe leaves, leaves it, and he's like, I almost did it. He didn't almost do it. He did not. He's like, I almost did it. Didn't even come close. And this is after Ella, like, left Joe, and Ella's like, by the way, I'm going to move on. I'm going to get, I'm going to go ahead and get reborn, and uh, I don't want to deal with this shit anymore, but you can. Here, you can. You can deal with Jory and help and help Runciter. That's kind of why I'm honestly helping you out to begin with is because I know Runciter needs you because he needed me because I guess he's just a man-child in, in a 90-year-old body. Then just at his darkest moment, he's saved again by another another young lady. 
another young package industry lady that shows out of nowhere and has the spray can and Joe's like, where did you come from? And he's, and she's like, don't worry, Joe, you summoned me with your mind. It's all cool. Here's Ubik. And she sprays him with Ubik and he's all better. Yeah. And, and, she, and like she, she makes sure to like also comment, like you can summon me at any time. Um, anyways yeah it gets it gets a little murky but so but it's it it sets up this like constant like cat and mouse game now between joe and jory where it's like well joe's like i can keep getting ubik so i can keep like surviving and fighting jory until i defeat jory so this then leads us to the very last thing where Runciter's like, I need to meet with Ella. I need to meet with Ella to talk about the business now that everyone's dead. And I got, I got to rebuild the business and everything. Yeah, Runciter shows back up. Yeah. And Runs, so, so Glenn is trying to meet with his wife. And he goes to pay for something. And the coin-operated machine's like, this, this money's no good. And he looks at the coin. And whose fucking face is on the coin? It's Joe's. It's Joe's face. Yeah, Joe's face is on the coin, just like Glenn's face was on Joe's coin. Joe's face is now on Glenn's coin. And this is where you get like, as I mentioned after reading the story, it's kind of like that Jumanji moment where like, you get this like, you're like, oh shit, man, no way, right? Like, like, oh, now you're in it. Now you're in it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah um and like that's that's where it ends that's where it ends and like so like i kind of was like doing some thinking on that too because that's where it like made me very much question like i guess more so reality and the idea of like life afterlife dimensions this whole notion of like how your actual memory lives beyond you and like how that's transitioning in the digital era yeah um, so I, I, I have a couple of ideas, at least in terms of the levels. And also, I mean, what's really nice about Ubik is Ubik leaves you with a lot of questions and not a lot of answers. But as I said, when it comes to Philip K. Dick's work, this is probably one of the best stories that he actually has a, a finish. Like he has an ending to, and that ending is really good because it does leave you with all the questions. It's the it's the questions that you want to ask. It's not like, where the fuck is the rest of the story? It's more like, oh shit, man! Like, no way! What does this mean? It's it's that Inception kind of style ending where you're like, oh shit! Are they awake? Are they not awake? Is this real? Is this not real? What's going on? Yeah, it's kind of like, I don't know, almost that like daily feeling that that some some people might have where um it's kind of when you you're like you have that moment where you're just like what the fuck am i doing and why is this important yeah i'd agree it's uh yeah yeah so he ties it up nicely he ties it up nicely so all right so here's here's my idea in terms of the layers of reality or death that we're we're encountering here okay okay so peak i'm i'm interested to hear what your thoughts are on this all right, let's go so, through it, Randy. Let's do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna go from the layer that I think is most dead, which is what I I've titled as dead level three. <laughs> dead so, level three. 
In Dead Level 3, I have Ella Runsider and Jory. Okay. In Dead Level 2, I have Joe Chip. Okay. And then in Dead or Alive Level 1, I have Runsider. I believe that Runsider's in actually in Dead Level 1. Um, you think he but, actually but, died? But then, but then actually, my, my flip here, though, is that the the levels are actually Joe Chip, dead level two, Runsider, Glenn Runsider, dead level one, um, Jory, and Ella Runsider. I actually peg them as actually alive in this situation. What? Yes, they're alive. Yes. How? Oh, wait, how does that work out? Well, because like Ella Runsider is able to communicate with Joe Chip, who is clearly dead level something. Yeah. And Jory is able to torment Joe Chip at dead level something. Hmm. So you have you have both in a way like I guess you you'd look at it as like user like player versus like NPC characters. Okay. Okay. In a sense. Um and then at the next level, you have actually Runsider, who I think might either be a level of dead below Joe or a level of dead above. But Runsider, I think, is in the same state of Half-Life. And so, arguably might have been for some time, considering that his wife is in it. Huh. Um, you So you're kind of going at the Inception level in which... The deeper you go, the more into the consciousness you go and the more like you're not aware that this is actually not reality. Right, right. And like kind of the longer that time plays out to you and the longer it takes for things to come at you. Oh, shit, man. That's... Oh, fuck. Oh, God. That's... Oh, that's so complicated. Oh, God. I thought it yeah, was the I mean, other way. That's so much. Oh, again, it it's me. like it's like a taco inside of a taco inside of a chalupa inside of a Taco Bell inside of a KFC inside of a mall inside of a Wendy's inside of your brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it kind of is. What do you think Ubik is? What is Ubik? Because there is a point in which Ella says that she, along with other half-lifers, developed it because Jory invaded them and violated them, and they did not like it. But it never it never says because like Joe points out the fact that he just kind of summons Ubik out of nowhere. Not because of Ella, not because of this 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 lifetime free subscription to it. Joe just kind of gets it. So then it makes you ask the question, what the fuck is Ubik? I think Ubik might be an early manifesta- manifestation or interpretation of Valis. I think so. I really do. Um, jokingly... Uh, I think Ubik might be this book called the King James Bible. <laughs> you you should have led with that one. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> 
no, so, no. I no. think I think for I think for the point of a serious discussion of the PKD universe and his works, I think Ubik might actually be an early precursor to what he's going for with Thallus. I think so. I think like Ubik may have been a precursor to his mental break, like his, his how he went insane, and he thought he saw something called of the called Valis. Um, and I'm gonna read this. This is because, as I said, every chapter in Ubik starts off with this advertisement kind of style thing. It's like an ad read. It's uh it's this ad slogan. It's really 1950s style where it's this catchy kind of thing where you're like, ooh, maybe I kind of want to buy that. Real madman style. And this is from chapter 17. This is the last chapter in the book. And this is where you kind of get this idea of what Ubik is. I am Ubik. Before the universe was, I am. I made the suns. I made the worlds. I created the lives and the places they live. I move them here. I put them there. I go as I say. They do as I tell them. I am the word. And my name is never spoken. They would name which no one knows. I am called Ubik. But that is not my name. I am. I shall always be. Damn. Because, like, I totally forgot about that before, like, actually leading in with, like, what I thought, you know, in terms of the connection to Valis. Uh, and that, um, that sounds like Valis. It sounds like Valis. No, that's actually why I asked you. That's why I was like, what do you think Ubik is? Because cause that's a question that on my second read that I started to notice is, Ubik isn't exactly it's not a product in its sense it's something it's like a religion and it's that's a, exactly it's, what it comes it's, across it's an entity like it has almost its own consciousness or agenda or something like that um yeah and it's it, it's otherworldly in a sense and it transcends um but no I'd absolutely agree with you Randy in that Ubik may be it may be actually a predecessor to Valis in its sense you know it's because as we said uh, Ubik actually stands for the Latin word of ubiquitous so um that's that's all I got I mean well welcome to the end you've heard Ubik it's our first actual full-length book cover so it's gonna it's a long episode hopefully you sat through it I don't know about you, Randy. Do you have anything else you want to want to want to mention? Want to say about Ubik before we we call it call it? Quote us on your book reports and <laughs> um, stay tuned for our deep dive into the King James Bible. <laughs> uh, I hope you enjoyed. Uh, Welcome to the end. Welcome to the end. It's a podcast all about short fiction, and we've just finished talking about Ubik, uh, a a crazy book that honestly, I, I would say you should go read it for yourself because even if you're not a sci-fi fan, there's a lot in it from a futuristic aspect that we are kind of living in now today. It's worth a read. Yeah, I I, I would agree, and. Um... 
just say thanks everyone and and remember reality is what you create it and and sometimes when that sign says no shirts no shoes no service you don't have to be wearing pants (laughs) and if your reality is a no pants reality what's the world to tell you not otherwise unless you're getting escorted into a uh uh a police vehicle well yeah that shit doesn't fly in china because um they are they're very much anti winnie the pooing or (laughs) yeah they're they're anti poo bear in it i know i know that this this isn't necessarily in line with uh welcome to the end but apparently um china president xi jinping has um outlawed the term and the act of poo bearing it so you actually are not allowed to go out in shirt shoes and no pants in public in china anymore <laughs> jesus christ and this is welcome this is this is randy bobandy with welcome to the end news <laughs> Okay, guys, welcome to the end. <laughs> this has been a podcast on your host, Pete Mason. <laughs> Joined by my Bo co-host Bandy. and brother, Randy Bo Bandy, the madman himself. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Who knows when we'll be back. Hopefully we'll be back with an expanse episode, and maybe we'll do more of this rambling nonsense and just... Uh,